Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to be back. Uh, I so appreciate Dave uh, uh, speaking last weekend. Uh, I always, we, we had gone away on a senior pastor's retreat, kind of prayer, prayer and planning retreat for the week. And, uh, and so I'd asked Dave to, uh, to teach that week and uh, appreciate him so much when they, they do that. And he and Joel did such a great job. But uh, I always just miss being here, and it always funny. It's just it's like kind of a two-week time span between the time I speak once and another, and it seems like two months to me. So it's just great to be back uh, with you as we continue our series. My name is Pastor Mike, and um, if you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. In fact, do we have any first-timers here? Just kind of raise your hand. You over here? You're here? We got one right down here. Great. A couple back there at the back. See you back there. Great. Welcome. So glad you can join us today. Uh, inside the weekend program is a white message uh, sheet that we use every week to kind of follow along our time of teaching, so I encourage you to take that out, and then we're going to jump in and, uh, and pray. This, uh, man, I'm, I, I'm like Joel. I'm loving this weather. Isn't this great? It's like mid-July, and it was like 60, uh, 64 when I came over the pass this morning. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about, baby, right here. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Uh, this is like beach weather. And so I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm excited about what's going on here at the church, too. I mean, these kids this weekend, this children's program that Pat and her team putting together, just amazing. Uh, the last time I was here, we did the baptism. I don't know if you were here that weekend. We had over 90 people baptized. Uh, we had a, a welcome dessert at our house last night. We do once a month for kind of new people at the church. We had over 30 people there. Six had been baptized in the last month. And it's just exciting to watch what God is, is doing. And it's had a great time. So let me, uh, let me pray together, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in our time of teaching. Father, we're so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. We're thankful for this, this day, this weather. We're thankful for what you're doing in our church. And most of all, God, we're just thankful for you and who you are, and the way you've called us to yourself, the way you've woken us up out of a, a deep sleep, um, and called us to follow you, and given our lives new meaning, and hope, and purpose, and, and most of all, freedom. And God, as we talk today about the freedom that you bring to us when we follow you, we pray that you'd open our eyes and open our ears to perhaps see things or hear things we've never heard from your spirit before that would just lead us on to greater freedom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our story starts today in the year 1995, and it's, it's, the scene is Quito, Ecuador. It was uh, one of the worst prisons he'd ever seen. In fact, uh, he'd seen a lot. He'd, he'd been in over 600 prisons around the world, 40 different nations, some of the, the most devastating uh, prisons in the world. Um, Sri Lanka, uh, Pakistan, the Gulag up in Russia. And yet this, this prison that he saw in Quito that day was one of the worst he'd ever seen. It was a, a prison named Garcia Moreno Prison. It was in central Quito, Ecuador. And he was down there with his team visiting. And they, as they walked up the steps that day, it was, it was a hot summer day, and there was, there was trash just heaped up on the outside. It was a bright summer day. It was just burning hot, and the stench from the trash going up the steps to the prison was overpowering. When they got to the top level, the very top step, there was blood there that was, uh, uh, had been uh, from a prisoner that had recently been beaten and then just drug over the, th- uh, the threshold. As they walked inside, the, the sunlight went away, and suddenly it was very dark inside. They walked through a narrow corridor, and there on the right and the left, there were holes cut in the concrete wall that had been used to torture prisoners. They would fill them with water, put the prisoner inside, and make them stay there for days and days until their skin and flesh would begin to rot off their bones. As they walked further on, they came to the first pavilion in this prison. It was called the Detainees Pavilion. This was a pavilion for, for prisoners who had been accused but never convicted of a crime. 
at that time in Quito, I don't know if it's the same today, but at that time in Quito that there was no right to a speedy trial, you were considered guilty until proven innocent. So often prisoners would stay in this prison for four to five years before their case was even heard, even brought to court. As they walked into the first cell block that day, it was designed for four men. There was four iron slab uh, 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 beds that were there against the wall, uh, hanging from the wall. It was a, a, a narrow room, high limestone ceilings, the only light coming through, some natural lighting with small holes at the top. But inside this room designed for four, 12 prisoners would live. They would have to sleep in shifts or sleep on the filthy floor. There was no plumbing in Garcia Moreno. And so they'd bring the water in in a bucket every day for the prisoners. And that same bucket would be used for human waste taken out at night. Same bucket brought back in the next day with the new water. As they walked through that cell block, they came to a large courtyard where all the prisoners would be let out during the day. It was a huge walled facility, uh, men with rifles on top. There was a gate they could peer through and and inside, it looked like the walking wounded. They could see men shuffling around. There, there was many men in rags, could barely walk. Over in the corner, in the far corner, they saw a group of, of women just garishly made up. And they asked their guide, who are those women over there? Through the gate and in the back. And they said, those aren't women. Those are the male prostitutes. They, they huddled together for safety. They told the guard at the gate that they'd come to, to visit the prison. They asked them to let him in. He refused. He said, it's way too dangerous. No one goes in here. And they said, we are here in the authority of the minister of justice for all of Ecuador. And you've got to let us in. And finally he relented and they went in. And as they went in, the, the whole court, courtyard went to hush. They weren't used to having any prisoners in, or any uh, visitors in Garcia Moreno. And as they walked into the center, sure enough, the prisoners began to move towards him. And they couldn't believe what they saw. Many of the men were limping. One man didn't have a leg. He was being carried by a friend. One man, as he approached, he was missing an eye, had sores all over his face. Many of the men had scarves over their face, either to hide their sores or open sores or to, to cut the stench from the smell in the courtyard. And as they looked around, it was as if they just like descended into hell. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in the last couple months, last few months. It's, uh, for those of you who are new, I always like to just step back and bring you up to speed real quickly this is a series that's called The Way. It's a study of the life and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, who's one of the greatest spiritual leaders of all time, and uh, he was a great Christ follower. And what we're doing in this series is we're coming alongside of him week by week and letting him mentor us. And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in this day and age, in the 21st century? And what does it mean to be part of his movement that Jesus started over 2,000 years ago that in the early church for it was first called The Way in the book of Acts? And our strategy each week is the same. What we do is we, we, we open up to his, one of his longest and most famous letters, his letter to the Church of Rome, and then we use that as sort of a jumping off point into some of the other of his writings to kind of let him mentor us in a bunch of areas. And so um, today we're continuing on in this new mini-series in, in Romans. It's in chapters 5 through 8. It's called Rescued and Restored. It's the second mini-series in Romans. And uh, we're in chapter 6. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to, to chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, may you look on with someone who does. I always say they have to share its church. <clears throat> you might fare not, not, not fare so well when you leave the parking lot, but inside the building you're safe. Okay. Chapter 6 in Romans, and we'll start at verse 11. Now, you remember last time 
We talked about in the beginning of the chapter, Paul talks about the changes that happen to a person when they decide to follow Jesus and when they give their life to Jesus and they decide to identify with him in baptism. Remember, we call that the great dividing line, the great divide. And here's before you knew Jesus, before you were following Jesus your whole life, and then at a certain point, you become convinced of who he is. You say, I want to follow. And you cross over the line, the great divide through baptism. And And when that happens, a change happens to a person, that we begin to be changed by the inside out. God's spirit comes into us, and we begin to receive the power to live a new life. And so that's the context in chapter 6, and Paul wants to talk to us today about the topic of freedom, the topic of what happens to a man or woman when they give their life to Jesus, and they enter into this new uh, uh, ability to move into a new freedom in their life. And so let's pick it up at uh, verse 11. He says, uh, what shall we say then? I'm, I'm in verse 15. Let's try 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Remember last week he said, last time we were together, he said like, when Jesus went to the cross and he died and he rose again, um, that he offers to take us with him. And that when we put our faith in Jesus and we follow him in the waters of baptism, we're connected with him. And we begin to share his spiritual DNA and our life begins to change. And so just as Jesus died to sin, and he rose again to the Father. He says, you need to look at your own lives in exactly the same way. There was an old life, and there's a new life. Okay? And he says in verse 12, uh, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil or its destructive desires. That before Jesus, we didn't really have a choice in the same way. Now that we have a new power, we have a choice to either follow the old desires or the new desires. And he says, so follow the new ones. In verse 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sit. Well, like what kind of parts of your body? <laughs> well, all your parts. You know, your, your feet, your hands, your, your mind, your tongue, your, your speech. I mean, you used to like give your body to serve evil things, things that were destructive. Now give them to God. He said, so do not offer the parts of your body as sin, as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but you're under grace. So what's he talking about? Well, he's going to, next, next week, we're going to get into chapter 7, and he's going to unpack verse 14. It's going to take a whole chapter to do it. What does he mean uh, that we're not under, uh, we're not, uh, no longer a slave to sin, we're, he's not our master because we're under, uh, under grace, not law. What, but let me just say this for now. What he's basically saying is that in the old system, before Jesus came, we may have known what the right thing was to do. Let's call it the law. You know, We knew the right thing to do, but we did not have the power to carry it out. And so even though we knew the right thing to do, we were still a slave of our old desires. We, sin was the master. But now through Jesus, we've stepped into that place called grace we've talked about. And God has come into our life. He's put his spirit into our life. And we now have the power to change. And so sin is no longer the master. And next week we'll talk more about that. Well, whenever Paul talks like this, whenever he says things like he does in verse 14, that you're not under law, but you're under grace. Whenever he says that, there's always someone in the crowd that says, hey, well, if we're not under law anymore, if our relationship with God is no longer based on my performance, but it's based on God's grace and what Jesus did, well, then why don't I just go ahead and sin like crazy? 
you know, because after all, uh, it's not based on my performance, right? So should we just keep on sinning? And, and this, this question comes up again. What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? And he says, well, by no means. And he's going to begin to talk today about a very important concept. And that's what he, what he talks about. What he wants to talk to us about is how destructive sin is in our lives. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but there was a time in my life, I think most of us go through a stage like this. Some of us never outgrow this stage. But there's a stage in our life when we look, if you're saying, what, how would you define sin? We would say sin is all the fun things in life that you're not supposed to do, right? That, that's how we would see it. Then we would often look at, well, sin is like those really cool things in life that I'd love to do, but if I could get away with it, but I'm not supposed to. And there's no really no good reason for it. God has just kind of arbitrarily laid down these rules that uh, not too much fun in life. Uh, that's too much fun. That, we'll call that one sin, right? That I think most of us at some point in our life look at it like that. And what Paul's going to say is, no, that's a really uh, kind of bad or inaccurate way to look at sin. That sin is destructive. I think a great analogy is, is uh, uh, addictions. Like, I don't know if you've ever known anyone who's addicted to something. Maybe you've been addicted to something in your life. But whether it's maybe you're, you're shooting it up, you're, you're popping it, you're drinking it, you're eating it, you're watching it, whatever. But if you've ever been addicted or you know someone who's addicted, one of the things that you'll experience when you talk to them is they will insist that they are not under the control of the substance, right? They will insist that, no, I'm in control of this. I don't have a gambling problem, Right? I don't, no, I could stop anytime I want drinking, whatever. Uh, you know, and, and everyone around them can see, hey, you're really not free, you're really in bondage. That this thing that's become an addiction, it's destroying your life. It's destroying it emotionally. It's destroying it relationally. It's destroying your career. It's destroying you spiritually. It's eating your life away, but the person will insist until they're blue in the face that they are, they are in charge of their life, they're in control, they're free. And they will define freedom as the ability to do whatever I want to do. And so leave me alone, I've got this under control. Are you with me? You have this, okay. So, so here's what Paul says. Paul says that's what sin is like. That sin is destructive. It may feel like freedom, but everyone around you can see it's destroying your life. And he's going to say, he's going to use an analogy. He's going to say sin, when we serve sin, it's like a slave master. That, that you're not really free, that you're under the control of this master, and he will work you to death. And when he says death, what he's talking about is not just eternal death or physical death. He's talking about death in every realm. Death to your relationships, death to your emotional life, death to you know, every part of your life, death to your social life, and so on. And so, so Paul's going to, so the question is, hey, if we're not under, if, if, uh, if, we're, if we're not judged by the law, we're judged by grace, should we just keep on sinning? And Paul's like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? Do you understand what sin does? Sin is destructive. It's like a slave master. And when you obey it, it will destroy you. You see? So here we go. Verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, you know, death in every way, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, living life the right way, a full way. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, in other words, before you came to Jesus, before you were baptized, you were slaves of sin. That's the way your life was. But now you've wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. So in other words, at a certain point in their life, these, these people who are living in Rome, 
they were just kind of living life like everyone else. And Paul says, you were in slavery to sin. And then the message of Jesus came, and you bought into it, and you began to follow this form of teaching, and you began to experience freedom in your life. So he says in verse 18, you've been set free from sin, from your past, and you become slaves to righteousness. Now, I put this in human terms, this analogy of slavery, because you are weak in your natural selves. Now, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. Now, catch this. Here's what Paul's saying, that sin is addictive. You catch that? You might want to underline that, ever-increasing wickedness. Then when it comes to sin in our life, we don't stay at the same level. We're always moving towards or away from. There's no such thing as staying even. Um, That sin tends to be addictive. Uh, You think about addictive substances. You know, the last high, you need more for the next high. Uh, You you become addicted to sexual morality. It always has to have something new, different, weirder, wilder, or whatever. Um, Anger. You give in to your anger, what happens? Your anger gets worse. Oftentimes we think in our lives, hey, well, I'm just blowing off a little steam. You know, when, you, when that becomes a habit, you know, blowing off a little steam, you need to blow off more steam. Uh, it actually even, uh, science has even shown this, that the more you give in to anger, the bigger the problem uh, comes, the more you, you blow it off. And so it's, it's addictive. You, you gossip a little bit, you want to gossip more. You give a little, little place to bitterness in your heart, guess what? Bitterness grows. That this is just the way sin is, that the more we serve it, it, the more it wants of us, the more it has us under control. It's ever increasing. So he says in um, uh, verse 19, uh, I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now, now that you're a Christ follower, offer them in slavery to righteousness, which leads to holiness, which is kind of a biblical word for wholeness, life as it's meant to be lived, what is right and good and true and beautiful and courageous. That's kind of a biblical view of holiness, all that is pure Uh, All is good in life. Okay. Verse uh, 20. Now, when you were slaves to sin, again, your old life before you came to Jesus, you were free from the control of righteousness. In other words, you're either going one way or the other. Verse 21. Now, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? He says, just stop and think of it. Look back at your old life. You're your own case study. You're you're like your own best case study. Look at your life before Jesus and after. Look back now. How do you feel about the old life? Are you proud of those things? He's like, see, see how destructive they were. Verse 22, but now that you have become set free from sin, you've come to Christ, you've been set free from sin, and you become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, that good life again, and the result is eternal life. And then he uses one last analogy. Instead of being a slave-master analogy, he used an employer-employee analogy in this last verse. For the wages of sin is death. He says, if you serve sin, if you say, I'm going to go work for sin in my life, I'm going to serve sin, uh, he says, it will pay you. Sin will pay you, but when you open the paycheck, it's not going to be what you expect. The paycheck's going to be made out to death. It will destroy your life. If you serve sin in your marriage, it will destroy your marriage. If you serve sin in a friendship, it will destroy your friendship. You serve sin in a company, it will destroy your company. You see, sin always pays you off, but what it promises is to pay kind of a short-term benefit, and it does. 
There's no question that sin, there's a short-term benefit or short-term pleasure often that comes with it, but there's a long-term pain. And so he says, the, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so there's a passage. Now, today what we want to do is unpack this, spend some time unpacking this and talking about freedom. And there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Following Jesus, the Path to Freedom. And we just have one fill in the blank. Let's go ahead and fill that in, and then we're going to spend our time uh, drilling down into this, all right? It goes like this. Uh, following Jesus is the path to freedom. That's the key teaching of this passage that we're looking at today. Following Jesus is the path to freedom. We just want to spend some time talking about that, unpack that. This is one of the most important concepts in the New Testament. It's one of the most important concepts in your life as a Christ follower. Here's what I can tell you. If you get clear on this concept, you will do well in life. I just tell you that. If you, get, if you get clear on this concept and you buy into it, you will do well in life. You will experience the freedom Christ came to give you. But put on that, if you don't get clear on this, you will never experience the freedom Christ came to give you. It's that simple. Because what happens is there will come moments in your life at a key intersections, key decisions of your life, if you're not clear on this, you will compromise. You'll compromise because you'll think that you know the path to freedom better than Jesus does. And the end result will be bondage, a loss of freedom. It doesn't matter whether it's your marriage or friendship or where you raise your kids or whatever. And so this is one of the most important concepts we could ever talk about. And we're going to spend some time drilling into it. Now, to get, to, to get at it, I want to start with something that Jesus said. So I want you to take your Bibles, uh, keep your finger or something here marked in Romans 6 because we're going to come back to this. But I want you to start with something Jesus said. We're going to go to John chapter 8. And we're going to compare something Jesus says in John chapter 8 with what Paul says here in Romans chapter 6. We're going to see how similar they are. So John chapter 8, it's to the left in your Bibles. John chapter 8, we'll start at verse 30. Now let me, let me set, the, let's set the stage. Uh, Jesus has been teaching to a group of uh, Jewish people. Of course, that's who he ministered to. And, uh, and there's some of these Jewish people who decided to follow Jesus, that they, they bought into him. There's a lot of people listening, not everyone bought in, but these particular, they bought in, they believed in him. And so he's pulling them aside afterwards. He says, okay, let me tell you the path to freedom in your life, all right? So here we go. Verse 30, he says, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. So they, they came to sort of an initial faith, their initial, yeah, I'm buying in. And he says, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. That's very profound. Uh, First of all, let's talk about the word hold here. The word hold in Greek is the word meno, like M-E-N-O, like long, meno, a simple word. Uh, It's a word that uh, can be translated a variety of ways. Let me just kind of, I'm just going to flesh it out a little bit before you just get the feel of the word. It could, for example, it can be, it's often translated abide. You know, like in John chapter 15 where it says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. Same word. Uh, Sometimes it's translated remain, if you, like, remain in me. Uh, I, I would like to translate here, like, if you stick to my teaching, that's what he's saying. He's, he's saying, uh, if you hold to my teaching, if you stick with my teaching. In other words, you've, you've come to an initial place where you think I am the Messiah. You, you think I am who I claim to be. That's great. But now, if you stick with it, if you hold to my teaching, 
You follow what he's saying? If you stick with me, he said, um, then you're really my disciples. Now, let me, let me, I want you to uh, catch something here. Jesus is saying here, there's only one way to know whether you're a true follower of him or not. And, and what is it? If you what? If you hold to his teaching. And he says, now, if you, so that's the only way to measure. So you're like, well, but I went forward at like a Greg Laurie Harvest Festival 15 years ago. Well, in junior high, I raised my hand to pray to receive Jesus. Well, notice that Jesus doesn't say any of these things. What he says is, if you want to know whether you're my disciple, there's only one way to measure that. And that's, are you following my teaching? Are you holding on to my teaching? And he says, now, if you do that, by the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I've known two kinds of people who go by the name Christian. There are some kinds of people that they come to Christ or they give their life to Christ in a new way, and their life really transforms, and it's obvious to see it, isn't it? You're just around them, and they're changing, they're growing, they're excited about it, and they're, they're learning, and, and whether they're just a really outgoing, passionate person or more of an internally passionate person, doesn't matter, but they're growing and they're changing. There's someone else who claims to be a Christian, and it's like nothing happening in their life. And you wonder, if you're on the outside looking in, you're like, are you kidding me? Like, these are both Christians? They look so different. And I think what's often happened is that this person is a verse 30 person, a chapter 8, verse 30 person. They, they look at you, yeah, I kind of buy into you, but they, they don't really follow him. And so as a result, their life is never transformed. It's never changed, you see. Now look what he says happens here. He says, um, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Remember, disciples, just the word in the New Testament for like what we'd call a Christian today, a Christ follower, Okay. He says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay? Now, now you catch the process here. Jesus is laying out a process. He says, if you, if you believe in me, you, you be a disciple, then you will next, you'll hold to my teaching. You'll follow my teaching. And if you follow my teaching, then you'll know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. Do you see this process here? There's a process. There's a process. If you're my disciple, if you hold to my teaching, you follow it, then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. We've got to do the whole process, don't we? What happens if we say, well, I believe this, but I don't hold to the teaching? Well, you never get to freedom. Well, what happens if you, you hold the teaching for a while, then you stop? Well, you never know the truth, and then you never get set free. You see what I'm saying? It's a process. And I'm telling you, in this nation, all across this nation, there are churches meeting today with people who claim to be Christ followers who have never known freedom at all. Their life has never been free because they've never gone through the process. They're stuck in verse 30, chapter 8 and verse 30. At one point in their life, they said, I like that guy. At one point in their life, they said, I think I buy into him. But they have never followed, and as a result, they've never known freedom. Now, as Jesus was teaching that day, um, he says that the, tr- that the truth will set you free. Well, the, the obvious question is, well, free from what? And, and that's exactly what his listeners were wondering. In fact, they didn't know what he was saying. In second verse, uh, verse 31, it says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, we're Jews, and we have never been slaves of anyone. So how can you say that we will be set free. You see what they're saying? Like, we don't get it. 
You're saying if we follow you, we'll know the truth. The truth is set us free. We don't think we're in bondage. What are you We're not slaves. And then Jesus goes on to clarify. He says in verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, I want you to catch this. Jesus defines slavery as sin. He says sin, by definition, enslaves you. Sin, by definition, robs you of the person God created you to be. That's part of what sin does. It's just part of the definition. And verse 36, he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, you got that? We got that passage? Now, let's kind of keep our thoughts there. Let's go back to Romans 6. I want to compare this with what the Apostle Paul says. And I want you to see how similar what he's saying here. They're both teaching the same thing. In Romans chapter 6, we'll start at verse 17. Now, Jesus was talking to Jewish people about their new life in Christ. Paul is talking to Gentile people, for the most part, about their new life in Christ, okay, to, to Rome. In verse six, uh, 17, he says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, okay, so before you came to Jesus, you used to, I mean, you were baptized, you used to be slaves to sin, thanks be to God, you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed, underline that, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You see the parallel with this passage? Jesus said, if you trust him and you hold to my word, you'll know the truth, he'll set you free. He says, thanks be to God that you, when you came to Christ, you, you wholeheartedly obeyed this form of teaching to which was entrusted to you. And verse 18, and therefore you've been set free from sin. You see, same exact process. They're both nailing down, both Jesus and the Apostle Paul are nailing down this huge New Testament truth that Jesus has come to set us free, right? And freedom comes as we follow him. Now, if you say, well, freedom from what? Oh, freedom from sin. Well, Mike, what does sin look like? <laughs> okay, let's just spell it. How about freedom from fear? Did you know that Jesus has come to set you free from fear in your life? How about this? How about bitterness? Did you know that Jesus came to set you free from bitterness? That he came to set you free from anger? How about this one? No, no show of hands. Anyone feel guilty in this room? <laughs> Everyone ever felt guilty? Now we can show hands. Let's, let's show hands. Anyone ever felt guilty in this room? In the past? Yeah, okay. I can put both my hands up. All right. Okay, we've all been there. You know the pain of guilt. You, you understand this, that Jesus came here to set you free from that guilt. You understand that, don't you? Uh, how about this one, greed? How about this one, insecurity? How about this one, dysfunctional relationships? Anyone have a dysfunctional relationship? So it's like groaning back there. Like, oh, I just gave birth to one. Whoa, look at this. Uh, yeah, ever had any pain? Anyone have any pain in a, a marriage ever? No show of hands. Uh, the person like, whoa, you? Uh, uh, yeah, right. See, see, Jesus came to set us free up from our addictions, right? He came as free. This is why he came. This is why he's here. He came to set you free. Now, let me, I want to say something really important here, as if the other stuff wasn't. Um, <laughs> 
Moving right along. Um, so I'm going to say something. This is really important. Um, we, as human beings, we think of freedom as the ability to do whatever we want. That's how we often define freedom in our country. Freedom is the ability to do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. You know how God defines freedom? Freedom is the ability to do what you are created to do. Okay? It's a big difference. So, so you see a, an eagle. An eagle was created to do what? To soar. You see a, a racehorse created to what? To run. You see a lion created to what? To roar in the jungle at night and to rule, right? And, and you look at that and you say, what is freedom? Freedom happens when the eagle is soaring, when the racehorse is running, when the lion is roaring and ruling. That is freedom. Now, you were created to run. You were created to soar. You were created to rule. You were created to be like God. That's what God has for you, to, to, to remake you to be like his son. That's what you were created to be. And Satan and sin wants to destroy that in your life. It's like he goes fishing for us with that, that baited hook. The bait looks so good till you take the bite and you feel the hook and you realize you're going down and you're seconds away from that frying pan, right? You see? All right. Now, here's what happens. This is one of Satan's biggest lies from the beginning of time. Remember when we did a, the series last year in spiritual warfare called The War? Remember one of the things I told you that spiritual warfare at the highest level is at the level of ideas. Because if Satan can control the way we think, he has us. And one of the most important spirit, one of the biggest, uh, most important ideas of spiritual warfare from Satan's side is that Satan is not for you, he's against you. And this is what he has worked to, to convince the human race of from the beginning. God is not for you, he's against you, he's not trying to protect you with his rules, he's trying to restrict you. It's one of the greatest and most pervasive lies in human history, and when we buy into it, we, we, we lose every time. And so Satan comes along and says, if you want to be free in life, you need to do your own thing. If you want to be fulfilled in life, you need to be disobedient, strike out on your own. And Paul is saying, no, if you want to be free in life, the path is obedience. Exact opposite. Because God, is, because God is for you, he's not against you, and his guidelines, his rules are always protective. They're never restrictive. They're protective. And here's what happens. The more we grow in Jesus, as we, as we first come to Jesus, this is hard for us to catch. It's hard for us to get because our whole life we've thought a different way. We think of sin as, oh, that's the fun things in life I can't do. You know, why? I don't really know, but there's some reason I can't. Maybe I have too much fun. I don't know what it is. Okay, and so that's how we've always thought. When we first come to Jesus, as we begin to grow, we begin to learn this lesson. That no, Jesus never asks us to do anything that will not lead to greater freedom in our life. And as we begin to trust him, and as we begin to take those steps of obedience, and many of you experience this, as we begin to obey, what happens? We begin to get more free, don't we? And, and what happens is every time we take a step of obedience, we get more freedom on the backside of it. And so what happens is as we grow in Jesus, at first we're kind of slow. It's like we're just kind of, kind of edging along, you know? We're just like, he's, Jesus said, this is the path. And we're just going, okay, let me try this out, you know? It's like, like walking across a, a newly formed ice. We're just kind of, we don't want to fall through the crack. But I tell you, the, the more we grow, what happens is we begin to then we begin to jog 
in the path of obedience. And there comes a day we begin to run in the path of obedience. Because we've experienced that obedience is a path of freedom and life as it was intended to live. Like there in your note sheet, for example, there's a great verse from Psalm 119, 32. I love this passage from the Old Testament where the psalmist writes this. He says, he says, God, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. So here's a man who has learned that God's word is a path to life. And he is no longer, like when God says, hey, do this, he's no longer just gone like kind of, kind of grudgingly obeying. This guy has now, he's, he's walked with Jesus long enough, he just wants to run. It's like, God, you tell me which direction. I'm, I'm with you. I'm running. And he's running because God has set his heart free. See, and this is what happens. The more we grow as a church, and we understand this, the more we grow as followers of Jesus understand this, we become a community that runs after Jesus. That we don't stop, we don't balk, we run. And this is so important for you to catch because if we, if we don't catch this, what happens is sooner or later in your life, there comes to a tough moral choice. It's an intersection of your life, and what you choose on those days determines your future. And so you come to a tough thing, and I'm not saying it's going to be easy. There's going to be times when Jesus asks you to do really tough things. In fact, it's going to feel like if I do this, it's like killing myself. It's like giving up myself. And it'll be the hardest thing you ever have done. But if you come to understand this principle, you'll be able to say, okay, this is the hardest thing, but he has proven over and over again that obedience always leads to freedom, and I will trust him even in this most hard and difficult thing. And guess what? You pop out the other side of that death into a new life. You pop out into new freedom, freedom that you never could have imagined. And let me tell you this, the deeper the death, the higher the life every time. When Jesus asks you to die to an area, it's to, to, it's to rise to a higher life. And the deeper the death, the higher the life. You bank it. Take it to the bank. I'm promising you that's true. The deeper the death, the higher the life. Now, one more thing. I want you to catch something that's very important that what Jesus taught and what the Apostle Paul taught on this topic of freedom. What he taught is, as a Christ follower, when you give your life to Jesus, a new power comes in your life, and you have the power to choose. And you have the, you have the access to new freedom. But I want you to catch this. It is not automatic. That Christians do not automatically grow in freedom. It's conditional, isn't it? When Jesus said, if you hold to my words, then you will know the truth. You see the if then? If you hold to my words, then you will know the truth, then you will be set free. There's an if then. It's conditional. The Apostle Paul says it the same way. He says, if you present your bodies as instruments of righteousness, this is what will happen. If you present them to instruments of wickedness, this is what will happen. If you hold wholeheartedly to the form of teaching which you receive, this is what will happen. If you don't, this, you see what I'm saying? It's conditional. And so really it comes down to us. Do you want to move into the freedom God has for you in your relationships? Do you want to move into the freedom God has for you in your marriage? Do you want God, the freedom God uh, wants you to move into in terms of your, your personal security, your confidence, your future, your joy, your peace, your power, your courage? Do you want that? It's up to you. You see, it's available, but it's not unconditional. It's a conditional promise, you see. 
He's opened the door. He's given us the key that unlocks the door. We have to decide whether we walk through or not. Now, we started the day with a story of Garcia Moreno Prison down in Quito. We left our, uh, our team there. They were, um, they were investigating the prison. They were down there. And, and, and the man who tells the story, the head of that team, many of you know, his, name's, his name is Chuck Colson. And he's, the, uh, he's one of the greatest Christian leaders, I think, of our time. And uh, he, he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship that operates at over 600 prisons around the world, 40 different uh, prisons. He's visited them. And so he was the, he was the one telling this story. And so they were, the reason they were down there in Quito to see Garcia Moreno prison is not to see the horrid conditions. They were there to see a particular cell block, a particular wing. They were there to see Pavilion C. And what had happened is that a few years before this, uh, there was a retired Christian attorney in Quito who had approached the government and asked for permission to take over one wing of this horrid prison. And he was given permission. And, and through him, prison fellowship came in, and they began to help resource. And what they did is they, they went into this one wing of the prison that was just so uh, awful. The conditions were so awful, they wouldn't even use it. It was like worse than the rest of the, the prison. And they went in, they, they created this particular cell block, cell block C. And they, they cooperated with other churches in the area, came in financially and with help. They brought in tradesmen from the area. Some of the inmates helped out. And they, they cleaned the whole place up. And they began to make it a cell block that honored the teaching of Jesus. And pastors would come in and priests would come in. And they began teaching the teaching of Jesus. And, and they had... Um, uh, they, they would have a rigorous Bible study so you could learn the form of teaching to which it was entrusted. And, and they, would, um, they would have character studies. And so the reason they were there that day was not to see the bad parts of the prison, but to see what God was doing in this, this other part of the prison. And so remember when we left them, they were standing there in that courtyard. They were standing there. Remember the, the transvestites were over here huddled for safety. Remember how dangerous it was. Remember the man in front of them that's missing his eye, the man without a leg, many men limping. They're in rags. They've got sores on their faces. They've got the, 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 uh, the covers over their faces to, co- to cover the, the sores or the stench. And it's just this picture, this like hellhole. And when they get done uh, sharing some words about Christ with those men. Then they went out the prison door, through a back of a huge iron gate, around a corner, down to Ben, down one hall, and they came around to cell block C. And when they opened cell block C that had been sponsored by uh, Prison Fellowship, they opened the door, and all of a sudden it was like walking into a whole different world. A world of darkness was behind them. A world of light was in front of them. And they looked down this long corridor. It's three-tiered, a three-tiered cell block. And down at the end, there's a huge cross painted on the wall, multicolored uh, a mural on the wall. And there in front are about 200 inmates, but not milling around, not rags. Not, they are there, and they're full of life. They've got their guitars out, and they're worshiping together. And they're singing together. And when they hear the doors open, they turn around and they see this little team from Prison Fellowship with Chuck Colson. And all of a sudden, they break into spontaneous applause and they begin to run at them as if they're long-lost brothers. And they embrace. And, and they begin to share what God has done in their life. And it's just amazing. The place is spotless and it's clean. And when they get done with that, it's not the end of the story. They want to show them, their guide wants to show them one more place that's even more amazing. He goes through cell block C, around another corner, they come into this place called Casa de San Pablo, the house of St. Paul. The same St. Paul that we're studying today in Romans chapter 6. And in, in, in the Casa de San Pablo, these are men who are fully devoted followers of Jesus. 
who are committed not only to following Jesus completely in their lives, but also to ministering to the rest of the prisoners. And when they came in there, it was like a different world. There was tile on the floor. Instead of, cell, instead of uh, uh, locked cells, there were dormitories with wood bunk beds. There was pictures of Jesus all over the walls. There were crosses. There was other Christian symbols. They noticed that there were bars on some of the windows, but not on the other windows. And they asked and they realized the, the bars were the ones to the internal prison where the, where the other prisoners were. There was no bars on the external windows. They could escape any time they wanted, but they were there by their honor. In fact, they didn't even call it the prison. They called it their home, the home. And they called one another residents instead of inmates. And as they began to worship that day, and Chuck and his team began to worship with them, man after man shared how he'd come to Christ and what God had done in his life and changed his life and, and, and how they'd come to Christ in Garcia Moreno and how God had turned their lives around. One man was like this head, uh, uh, one of the head uh, members of a, a huge drug court cartel. And he said, coming to Garcia Moreno prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because it's here that I met Jesus. It's here he changed my life. I don't care if I never get out of here. I just want to share the message that Jesus can change you, whoever you are and wherever you are. They had a prayer corner. There was a prayer closet. You had to kneel to go in. It was so short. It was in use 24-7 as the prisoners were there praying before God. And you look at that picture, and as I read this story, all that came to my mind was Romans chapter 6, this image of two worlds, of two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. What happens in our lives when we follow the kingdom of darkness? What happens in our lives when we follow the kingdom of light? How is it possible? How is it possible that you have uh, in one prison, separated by one or two walls, such a radically different place. In one place, you have these men in rags, helpless, hopeless, doomed, sores on their faces, scarves on their faces, amputees being carried around, wounded people, eye sockets missing, transvestites in the corner huddling out of fear from the other prisoners, a place so dangerous they don't even let visitors. How can you have that right here and right next door have this kingdom of light where, where brothers are loving one another in Christ, Catholics and Protestants together loving one another, a brotherhood, a place of joy, a place of light. Where, how could that happen? What is the, how does that happen? What is the difference only one difference. <laughs> one side is following the teaching of Jesus that it is entrusted to them wholeheartedly. And one side is pursuing a life of disobedience with ever-increasing wickedness. And what you see in that prison is an extreme of the world. We don't all go to those extremes, but you see an extreme of the world. What happens in our life when we live and pursue sin? What happens in our life when we pursue Jesus? And the difference is night and day. The difference is bondage and freedom. Now, men and women, here's the question that we have to answer as a church. Is, is what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that follows the teaching of Jesus or not? Are we going to be a church that 
that wholeheartedly embraces the form of teaching that leads to freedom? It's a question for your life. What are you going to do? Are you going to follow the teaching of Jesus wholeheartedly and experience that freedom that Jesus promises? Or are you going to be a John 8, 30 person who kind of gives a nod to him, believes him in some sort of way, but you've never followed, never experienced the freedom? See, we have to decide. Now, here's what, here's what I believe. Here's what I feel. In my heart, I don't have time to be a normal church. I don't know about you. I don't want to be part of a normal church. I don't want to be part of a status quo church. I want to be part of a movement church. I want to be part of a church, a group of people. We get to the end of our lives and we look back. We say, we followed Jesus. We followed him wholeheartedly. And he did amazing things in our lives. And we get to the end We don't show up like a notch of Bible verses on our belt that we memorize. We don't show up a a, a notch of uh, church attendance awards. But what we show is we show a notch of changed lives, starting with us and then changed lives, hundreds, thousands of changed lives. Because as a church, we followed wholeheartedly the teaching of Jesus. See, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? I'm telling you where my heart is. I just need to know, are you with me? Are you with me? Are we going? Are we going to go there? Yeah, let's pray to God. Lord, we, uh, we come to you as followers of Jesus. Lord, we don't want to be stuck in John 8.30. Uh, we want to step over. We want to hold on to your teaching. We want to wholeheartedly embrace this teaching which has been trusted to us. We want to know the truth and we want to be set free. And God, we thank you that you have come to do that. We don't want to sell ourselves short. We want to step short. We, we don't want to be kind the kind of Christians that sort of believe in you in some sort of half-hearted, half-baked way, that we want to know the freedom you came to die to give us. God, we want to run in the path of your commands. And so we pray today, we pray today that you'd give us the heart to do that. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to talk to those of you who are here. You may be coming to Rocky Peak 15 years. You may be coming six months or two months or your first day. I don't know. But for whatever reason, today, as I've been talking, something's happening inside of you. You can't put your finger on it. You may not be able to describe it, but you know that God is speaking to your heart. You know that God is calling you to follow Jesus. You are where those Jews were in John 8, 30. You've listened to his teaching, and you are buying in, and you want to follow him. And if that's where you are today, I want to give you a chance to follow Jesus today. And that happens with a simple prayer of your heart where you just say yes to Jesus. I want to follow. Come into my life. Change my life. Teach me how to live. Forgive my sins. Forgive my past. Give me a new future. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And if this expresses the desire of your heart, just pray along with me in your mind and your heart. And ask Christ in. Dear Jesus, I don't understand everything about you. But I know you're calling to me. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me for all I've done, to give me a new life, to change me from the inside out, and to save a place in forever with you. Our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed. If you prayed that prayer today, in a couple moments we're going to be collecting our offerings and our registration card. There's a registration card in your program. 
would you do me a favor and just write me a note? Mike, I prayed the prayer. We will know exactly what you meant. I will send you a letter, a next steps in your walk with Jesus. The first step is we need to get you baptized. It's the way you say, I want to follow. And we'll do that right away. But just write me a note. We'll know what you mean. We'll contact you this week with more information. Father, now we pray that you'd be with us, that we'd be a church that runs in the path of your commands so that our hearts could be truly set free. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be continuing.